Hello and welcome back to the Thunder Six Podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be talking about the Blue and their final result to their season. I'll also talk a little bit about the All-Star game because since it is All-Star Sunday, you know, we can talk about SJ, we can talk about Conley, whatever you want. So I'm going to go a little bit into that, but mainly I'm talking about the Blue because they officially have been eliminated from playoff contention, took them to the final day of the season for them to finally get on the chopping block. But, yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Ended up positive with an 8-7 and seven record, just did not have the tiebreaker to really get there. And it's wild because they started this season 7-1 and one in a three-way tie for the first seed in the entire league. These guys look like the clear-cut champs. I know Moses Brown that period of time he had a player of the week award under his belt you had players such as rob edwards really feeling themselves i think he was coming off some 15 20 point games a lot in that first half of the season as well as a lot of these other guys i mean ty jerome was with the squad we had a little bit of time with chase on randall he averaged 20 points across his two games before ultimately getting a two-way deal with the lakeland magic aka you know Orlando Magic. I think he actually played up there a little bit, but they just had a stack lineup and everyone was clicking. I know Antonius Cleveland even in that first half was probably the second leading scorer right behind Moses Brown, and there wasn't even a big emergence from players such as Omer Yurtseven, for example. I mean, he was just kind of blossoming as a player, but it didn't matter. They kept getting consecutive W's. I know they beat the Cannon Charge by 31 points, I think. I think it was 141 to 110 when that game was all said and done. So they were living the good life. It seemed like they pretty much had clinched a spot regardless of what happened here. And you didn't really have to think much about it. I mean, I know whenever I was talking in my podcast, I was saying these are the guys to beat. And truthfully, I still feel that way. I think that team was so amazing. And I hate having to use it in past tense, but I mean, that's kind of just how it is. That team was built so well. So many great guys on that unit right there. So it's a little bit sad that, you know, they were not able to kind of pull together and end up uh, delivering. However, they get on that 7-1 start, and that's kind of when trouble arose a little bit. And it started with a Greensboro Swarm game. So ended up facing off against the Swarm. That had Admiral Schofield on that team, former Thunder training camp attendee first overall pick in the g league draft by them so they really valued him he actually came off the bench didn't have a very sizable role but he was still there for their efforts and they were able to barely defeat the oklahoma city blue final score that one ended up being 120 to 118 and the blue were up as much as 19 points in that game so it's kind of crazy that they were not able to kind of hold on but End up kind of squandering it. Seemed like, you know, hope really wasn't lost there. They had a very strong matchup right after the Swarm in the Delaware Bluecoats. Paul Reed was leading them, and Paul Reed been a dominant force. He is still down there with the Bluecoats, but they had a face-off against him. He looked like an absolute star, 35 points, but that's not going to get you all the way. So they had that just monster. I, I know Moses Brown was the primary matchup there, and Brown... You know, he's a pretty quick guy, but whenever you got a guy in Reed who's six foot nine, very speedy, able to get you a ton of step backs, and you shot five of ten from deep range in that matchup, you really can't 
contain him unless you want to move down low to some of your smaller guys and that kind of just becomes a liability because on that roster you had Brown, Yurt7, Pokachevsky as your seven footers and then there's just a serious drop off like you can't really play Pokachevsky at the center position right now and you know who else would be that center like Antonius Cleveland, Jalen Horde. I don't think either of them would really work so they didn't have that real small ball five sadly so it kind of did kind of hurt them a little bit when they ran into players such as Paul Reed and some of these other stretch bigs that I'll be outlining but they ended up winning that game regardless winning by double digits in that game so they get up to eight and three that's pretty much when you think they're good you know they're probably going to be in the clear they're still in the top four seeds and the way they were playing looked like they would just be on the up and up so they move on into their next game against the Long Island Nets and they struggled. I mean, the Long Island Nets, pretty below average team entering that game. I'm trying to remember. I think they were like four and six or something when they stepped on. So pretty wild that, you know, they were able to kind of give them a run for their money here. And it was kind of a crazy one because I believe both teams were up double digits at one point and it got so close down on the wire. It set in overtime and with a two minute overtime period, pretty much whoever scores first is going to win the game. So the Long Island Nets, they were able to score. They got the tip off. I think they got up like four points. And, you know, it was kind of said and done after that point. So they lose that. Totally cool. Move on. But the problem is their last three games, I always outline this in my blue episodes. Pretty much every podcast this week, I've been talking about this. But they had a three-headed monster to end their schedule. And I think that's really what ended up hurting. When you're going up against the Raptors 905, the Erie Bayhawks and finishing off against the Santa Cruz Warriors, that's going to be tough for you. All those teams already had pretty much double digits. I know by the end of the season, you had the Raptors, they're 12 and 3, and the other two teams, they're like 11 and 5 or something wild like that. So, very serious contenders that you had to go kind of facing off in that patch there. I know I missed out on the Austin Spurs as well, but, you know, that was before the Blue game. Regardless, though, I mean, they kept that one close. They only lost by three. So they kind of had some momentum, I would say. I mean, all their losses up until that last three games, they were close. So they were fighting. Yurt 7 looked better than ever. This was when, you know, Yurt 7 was finally easing into things, dropping like 34 points because Moses Brown's having to sit out and all that. So you go in against the Raptors 905. And the issue was Henry Ellenson. I mean, stretch four with the Pistons, kind of got bounced around, and and I just torched him from deep. Didn't really have anything to counter him. Even inside, they were pretty dominant, despite not having a you know big presence. But they were just clamping up on Moses Brown. When you clamp up on him, force the threes, you make that risky call, and you know they weren't hitting, so they got that W. That was probably their biggest win. Of the or the their biggest loss, yeah, that that would have been the Blues' biggest loss of the season. That was by a clear double-digit margin. And then going up against the Erie BayHawks, very close, tightly contested the entire way through, ended up falling just a possession short. So you enter that final game at eight and six with a win, you would have clinched your spot. Same goes for those past three in that stretch. You would have known one hundred percent if you win there you clinch it. Before then, you kind of knew you just needed nine wins, really, but 
could have been 100% sure. You knew in those final three, a win netted them a, a ticket, you know, and drop the last two. It's cool. You get that final chance on Saturday against the Santa Cruz Warriors. I talked about this extensively in yesterday's podcast, but they kept it so close. Just were not able to pull it off. Amazing comeback efforts, especially from Ryan Woolridge here. Pretty underrated guy from the season. Gets those two big tip-ins to push it outside of regulation. But again, when you lose out on those jump balls and you allow a quick shot, you kind of set yourself up for a rough going. So that's what happens. I mean, could not even get a tally up. Got outscored 10-0 to and lost 113-103. to So that's how they stood there. But, you know, the reason why they're outside, even though they're above 500, is pretty ridiculous. And I made an article on this. Kyle Singler for MVP.com. Please give me suggestions for a new domain name, guys. I know. I'll probably add another one on eventually because it is kind of a funky name. However, in that, though, I was saying, like, this would have been a sports statistician's, like, dream. You know, what they saw with the Oklahoma City Blue, because the chances of them making it probably a week ago would have been in the high 90%, probably in the 99.9%, you know, it was pretty wild. So they drop all those, end up losing five of the last six games, and that door continues to be opened. However, there's so many moving variables, and the amount of different ways, you know, teams could have fell, you know, it would have given the Blue that spot, like, 90 times out of 100 even without them you know winning a single game and it's pretty crazy like this should have been secured regardless if they won or not because of the tiebreakers they had mounted so they had defeated the Lakeland Magic earlier in the year only by two points but that's a win regardless so Lakeland they kind of were in in silence really they were kind of just dominating and they got pretty hot to end off the regular season one five of their last six games so they were able to bolster their record to nine and six if they would have lost one of those games one more of those games they would have been right outside they would have been the nine seed blue stick them right in at the eight seed you give them a trip against the toronto raptors affiliate in the raptors 905 if they would have won they would have been the number six seed if you guys were wondering but it doesn't matter because that's not what happened Anyways, moving on to the next team, though. I mean, there are a lot of teams that are just intertwined in this stuff, and you have to look towards the Rio Grande Valley Vipers. End up defeating them, even with Kevin Porter Jr. They did a great job kind of silencing him whenever they came to town, but in the regular season, though, they were not doing that amazing. Whenever they came in to face the blue, this was not, you know, a blue-collar team whatsoever. You had Kevin Porter Jr., who you know, deservingly so, gets a lot of praise for his on-the-court talent, but outside that, they didn't really have much cooking up for them, and if I do remember, they did have guard Broderick Thomas still on the roster, he ended up kind of getting phased out, he was not with the team, or at least currently now, he's with the Cavaliers, but before that, he was with them, so he was pretty good, you kind of had just those two guards giving you a lot of the production there, but they squashed him, so have that tiebreaker, they go eight and seven, welcome to the playoffs and they had to go through a lot of hoops to get to where they were they had a major matchup march 3rd though that would have got the blue the playoff seed and this was not really advertised whatsoever this was advertised 
solely as something for the Vipers. Like, if they lose, they're out. And that's true, but there was a lot more playoff implications to this game than the league probably let off and told people. So, they went up against the Ignite. Ignite, they have the tiebreaker over the Oklahoma City Blue. Vipers do not. If the Valley Vipers end up notching that seventh loss, you say goodbye. They ended up beating the Ignite, though, in that game. So they kept their streak going. I think they had two more games to finish the year, and they won them both. So they're entering the playoffs, 9-6, and six, being one of the hottest teams in the entire league. They have won the last six games. So the Lakeland Magic get off easy. Same goes with the Vipers. You're just left with the G League Ignite. And that was the last team remaining with the Blue come Saturday morning. And I told you about the Blue losing. They played at 2 p.m. Whenever they lost, they had to sit on their couch, sit in their hotel rooms, and just watch and wait for the G League Ignite. They ended up playing the Austin Spurs. Pretty good team, I would say there. I mean, Robert Woodard, who should be with the Kings, they don't have the team, though, so he gets moved over to them. They had a lot of guys that probably should be, you know, playing with other affiliates, but they kind of have a jam-packed roster, just like the Blue. And the G League Ignite, I mean, definitely, same can be said with them. You got Jalen Green, Jonathan Kuminga, Deshaun Nix, Isaiah Todd, just to give a couple examples. I know Amir Johnson, too. You got Jared Jack going up against the Austin Spurs. Through that first quarter, they were already up 10 points by halftime. Ignite were up 20 points. They were up as much as 41 points in their game last night. They didn't even make this nerve-wracking for anybody. They just sealed the deal. Now, you can go on your little conspiracy theories. Did the Spurs want to throw this? You know, if I was in their situation, I probably would. I would not want to see Moses Brown's face again, Yurt Seven's face again, any of them. Give them the win and you're good. I think they'd much rather have a date with Amir Johnson and Jalen Green, all those other guys, than, you know, the blue. So they end up winning. They take that final spot. And it's kind of crazy because Amir Johnson was probably their best player in that game. He, like, didn't even miss any shots. He had, like, 20 plus so he really led them because you know as y'all know Dante Hall he's with the Raptors 905 now because he was picked up on a 10-day contract so the rights got pulled from the G League Ignite in their first matchup whenever the Blue and Ignite faced they did have Hall he's not with them anymore so that's why Johnson had that big uptick in minutes that's why you saw players like Isaiah Todd also get a little bit of a benefit there but yeah they get to move on as that eight seed, they get to take on the Toronto 905. But well, I mean, what a hell of a season. And I'm going to do more episodes on this. I don't really want to go crazy in depth because I know, you know, it's all-star weekend. Y'all probably care a little bit more about the all-star game than you do me talking about the Oklahoma City Blue. But yeah, I mean, very fun team. And, you know, I've been watching G League slash D League games since the Tulsa 66ers were around. And I mean, it's wild. I probably don't have a very good recollection of the 66ers games. I just remember it was very fun and they had a bouncy house. But I mean, I love those teams. But, you know, I genuinely feel like this is probably the most well-rounded roster that we've ever seen from a team 
they led a lot of these major categories to end off the regular season and they're just outside like I was gonna do just some crazy articles because I think in terms of pace I don't know if it's still like this but before their final game like seven of the top 10 guys in pace they were in blue jerseys same goes with rebound percentage offensive rebound percentages Moses Brown was number one Omer Yurt seven was number two when you're looking at double doubles I mean Brown and Yurt seven are feasting and like really just everywhere they were too dominant in the paint Moses Brown's right up there number one when you're looking at free throws attempted something that will go under the radar when you have to force Moses Brown to the line which a lot of teams just decided to do he gets up there a lot for his trip so he's one of the best centers when it came to that Yurt Seven's post game was amazing he had all these shooters Xavier Simpson was perfect at passing the basketball around and you had a lot of surprise guys who kind of blossomed even players like Phil Booth who didn't even have a spot with this team until the regular season started and Randall you know he got moved around so you need to fill in that gap they had to deal with Jerome leaving had to deal with Pogachevsky leaving for that final game too and even Josh Hall never saw Josh Hall you knew you weren't gonna see Vic Krejci at all but he also was not there so you lose out on a pretty good amount of players especially when you're talking like the role that these guys were playing they were able to kind of adapt and you know they were so close I think you know we'll probably have to see in the coming days how they shape out but a lot of those guys deserve second chances elsewhere I did this on my reddit mailbag episode kind of detailing everyone but yeah there's a lot of merging guys and you know it's really sad to see the road end but I know the future for them for those players is going to be pretty bright so I guess you can get a happy moment out of that one mentioned I would talk about the all-star game too you had you know Mike Conley get the replacement of the replacement of Devin Booker kind of wild so I guess Mike Conley was the second man out for the Western Conference look I think if you want to break it down by straight up statistics of course SGA takes that easily has it in every category major category you want to talk about only one where it's different is the win column and people are kind of like really upset about this and I totally get it because I do think you know if you're judging it just based off the stats yeah SGA clear-cut number one guy and I think even to begin with he probably should have been in there however the West is so stacked and I think Mike Conley he's been screwed for years and I know he's probably not right like up there right now but the Utah Jazz, they're the best team in the NBA. You know, even though the stats don't project superstar numbers, he has a real impact with the squad. I think whenever the Atlanta Hawks were one of the best teams in the league, didn't they have like four all-stars or something? I think Kyle Korver got a nod that year. So complaining about that is, I think, a little ridiculous. I was totally cool with the Mike Conley-like selection. I was actually happy for him. I think that, you know, while he was playing with the Memphis Grizzlies, he was dominant like I was scared I think every Thunder fan was genuinely scared to play the Grizzlies anytime during those early to mid 2010s because you had your little grit and grind basketball Zach Randolph is gonna kill you junkyard dog and you got Mike Conley too Tony Allen that whole roster was just dangerous Marcus Saul too just built to really counter Oklahoma City's crazy offense and you know, Mike Conley was a real pain, and he still has been a pain. I think, you know, this was the last season for him to make it. 
he probably should have just been put in anyways. I feel like, you know, he really just deserved it anyways. I know Devin Booker was great. Shea's been great. I'm not all that upset, though. So I'm glad that Mike Conley gets that credit. I hope he kills it in tonight's All-Star game. Would be would have been nice to see Shea. I think, you know, if Diallo wasn't injured, he probably also would have been in that dunk contest. I mean, you, know, you saw what he did in the last one, you know, doing Superman dunks over Shaquille O'Neal getting his arm stuck in there doing some honeycomb dunks. So I would have probably bet he got a recall. I think now the field has to do with like Anthony Simons, Obi Toppin, and Cassius Stanley, I believe. So that's what you're talking about right there. And yeah, I mean, that's a good lineup. I know that all those guys really have some bounce to them. You already know with Cassius Stanley, dude was like a high school mixtape guy. Obi Toppin, not so much. He blew up with Dayton. And then Anthony Simons, I mean, in prep school, he was nice. Didn't have to go to college. And, you know, he looked good whenever he, whenever he plays against the Thunder. This guy looks like CJ McCollum, doesn't miss any shots, shoots like him. He's shooting like five for nine on threes. So, I don't know. I, I think it'll be cool to see kind of how all those guys play there's no real front runner in my eyes but you never know even looking at you know three-point competitions you got Steph Curry in there again will he be able to assert his dominance and you know I think uh when you're looking at the two teams Durant versus LeBron I'm not gonna root for team Durant regardless he's not playing but I think LeBron's team is just way better so I'm gonna be excited to watch this one uh tonight hope you guys all are too I'll be talking tomorrow probably in more of like a variety style so if you guys have any questions make sure to hit me up on twitter guys and you guys can find that i have it linked under my name in the description so you guys can click on that you guys can follow me talk to me really love interacting with you guys and just answering your questions that reddit episode was really fun and you know, i hope to probably continue that later down the road so i thank you all for listening guys and i know this was a little bit of a shorter episode promise i'll be back with a longer one tomorrow but yeah thank you all for listening guys and i will talk to you all tomorrow see ya